Reading this morning is from Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning at verse 14 and continuing later uh, at verse 21. Jesus announces the good news. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Verse 21 now. Jesus drives out an evil spirit. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. This is the word of God. Father God, we ask your blessing on Steve today as he preaches to us. Fill him with your Holy Spirit, and help us to apply his teachings to our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Anne. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, this is the f third in our little series as we're looking at our values as a church. We've been thinking about uh, loving God. We've been thinking about uh, making disciples. And today we're going to be thinking about uh, seeking the kingdom. Uh, obviously, we think a lot about a kingdom at the moment, aren't we, with the uh, funeral of the queen. But our constitutional monarchy is not really a very good model to help us to think about the kingdom of God. And um, it's a phrase that's used a lot in the Bible, but it's a difficult thing to get our heads around. So rather than diving straight into the kingdom of God, I'd like us to think about Ukraine. If you live in the Ukrainian heartland at this moment in time, where nationalistic feelings are strong and everyone is making sacrifices to preserve the independence of the country, there has never been a time when you would be prouder to be Ukrainian. But on the borders, it's very different. The Russian strategy is to fill areas around the borders of Ukraine with separatists 
and then later to conduct a referendum to legitimize Russian annexation. So in these areas, you are outnumbered, and the annexation seems inevitable and legitimate. Loyalty to Kiev is a treachery. There's no point trying to continue to be Ukrainian, it must feel. Here is a struggle between two powers, two claims of sovereignty, two value systems, two versions of history, two identities. And the same is true for us as Christians today regarding the kingdom of God. We're increasingly pushed to the fringes. We're actually on the fringes of Christendom, really, whose center is no longer Canterbury or Rome, but Africa or South America. Here in the borderlands, we face the same struggle. The invading tide of secularism and pluralism seems almost irresistible. Those who still hold to Christian viewpoints on what, cons what, cons what uh, constitutes the good life or on human identity and sexuality, on notions of human fulfillment and purpose, are seen as quaint relics of a former age. Here on the borderlands, what's the point of resisting, of standing out as different? Well, the point is this. The kingdom of God is near, as Jesus announced. Kingdom of God is God's active rule. Obviously, at one time, it was a geographical entity, Israel, with a human monarchy. But actually, that was just the start, the foretaste of the revelation of the kingdom of God as his universal rule. And if you look at some of the Psalms in the Bible, like Psalm 145, which are kingship Psalms, you get an insight into what God always intended. So let me just read to you a few verses from Psalm 145. I'll exalt you, my God, the King. I'll praise your name forever and ever. And the Psalm gives an insight into the values of the kingdom. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. This is the values of the, that Graham Kendrick song that we've just been singing. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in, the proper, in their proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. And faithful in all he does. So the kingdom of Israel was meant to embody those values. Of course, it did uh, in a very inconsistent way. So when Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God, he was not declaring the restoration of the monarchy of Israel, but the arrival of the consummate reign of God beyond all human empires over all time and space. So we as Christians... We as Christians have an allegiance to that kingdom, even while we live on the borderlands. And the announcement of the kingdom by Jesus demands a choice. Repent, he says, and believe the good news. It's not possible to be neutral 
You can't just blend in. Repent and believe. Jesus is forcing a crisis. You either believe and repent or you reject the good news. And as we know from the rest of the gospel, this is not just a one-off decision. Particularly in the life of Peter, we see that it's necessary to choose again and again and again to be aligned with the kingdom. So this is a clash of powers and assertion of authority. And Jesus particularly asserts the authority of the kingdom in two ways. Did you notice? First of all, in his teaching. And secondly, in his healing, particularly deliverance from uh, evil spirits. First of all, teaching. Verse 22. He taught them as one who had authority. The teaching of Jesus didn't derive his authority from external sources. It was normal for a teacher to show that he had authority by referring to other rabbis and teachers and, uh, and, and a line of authority. But Jesus is saying he has authority in himself. Jesus is his own authority. And we acknowledge Jesus as the word of God. He's the authoritative declaration of the Father. I wonder whether you, 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 you perceive just how authoritative Jesus is. I've been thinking a lot about this verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 8 recently, verses 5 and 6. Paul says, even if there are so many so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom... All things came and for whom we live. Think about that in the context of the James Webb telescope and everything it's showing us. One God from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there's but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. We acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. So whenever Jesus was teaching, his only reference point beyond himself was Scripture. Sometimes he did say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. But he wasn't contradicting Scripture. He was taking Scripture further in the same trajectory, wasn't he? So he said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But then he goes on to say, but I say to you, even if you look at a woman lustfully, you commit adultery in your heart. So he's taking the same thing and pressing it further along. He's not reinterpreting Scripture. He's sending it further in the same direction. Yes, Scripture does have to be interpreted, but the plain sense of Scripture has to be acknowledged. And we adjust our thinking around that rather than adjusting Scripture around our preconceptions. We're in an age where authority is often seen as an inconvenience. Presidents and prime ministers cast aside constitutional authority to suit their own purposes. Have you noticed that traffic lights seem to be advisory these days? But we are people who recognize the authority of Jesus, which is mediated through Scripture. And as people who recognize the authority of Jesus, the authority of Scripture, we stand for the kingdom of God and not for the kingdom of this world. So let's just think about applying this a little bit. 
Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches his disciples, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So as a church, we commit to seeking the kingdom of God. Our desire, commitment, and prayer is centered on the coming of this kingdom. So first of all, it means we have to recognize that we're engaged in a struggle, an intense struggle. It says in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We recognize that we're in a spiritual battle, and that the front of this battle is in everyday life and all aspects of human interaction. So we don't fight with political power, though the kingdom of God stakes its claim on all political power. It's not fought with economic power, though the kingdom of God stakes its claim on all wealth and economies. It's not fought with the force of personality, though the kingdom of God claims our whole persons. It's not fought by the size or organizational strength of a church. But the kingdom of God is evident as much in the gift of administration as it is in the gift of prophecy. No? Again from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So like Jesus in his teaching, we fight with truth, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So Jesus, Jesus expresses the claims of the kingdom through his teaching, and we fight the battle in truth. Secondly, Jesus healed and delivered people. So we choose to get involved as representatives of the kingdom in the whole of society. Because we recognize that the claim of the kingdom uh, is on the whole of creation and on the whole of society. That's why as a church, we're involved in Nottingham citizens fighting for justice. We're involved in hope into action, an act of compassion for those who are vulnerably housed. We're involved in welcome boxes, reaching out with kindness and hospitality to people arriving in this country. We're involved through running a language school on Monday afternoons to empower strangers to be able to take their place in society. We're involved in evangelism, the transformation of individuals through the gospel. But we're not restricted to words. In this passage from Mark's gospel, Jesus demonstrates his authority through his teaching and through his actions. It says in 1 Corinthians 4, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So, As a church, we expect to see the demonstration of God's power in our worship, as we meet in prayer, in our service, in our love, and in our encounters with evil. We fight for the kingdom of God in our teaching and in healing, which we'll be thinking about more next week, in the public square and in our daily lives. We live as aliens in this outpost of the kingdom because our primary loyalty is to another authority. We're citizens of another kingdom. As I've been thinking about 
applying this principle to our lives, the, the image that has come to me again and again is the image of um, a, a gyro horizon or um, an artificial horizon in an aircraft. I've never used one of these, obviously. I don't have a, a pilot's license. Maybe Martin, who flies model aircraft, will, will know a bit more about this. But uh, anyway, when you're flying, you need to know whether you're upside down or whether you're straight up. And there is an instrument which is, I think it's now called um, just a flight instrument. And it informs the pilot of the aircraft orientation relative to the Earth's horizon. And for us, the kingdom of God is this reference point in all we do. How does this stand in relation to this line, which is the kingdom of God? We live in an age of distraction and disorientation, and it's quite easy to be flying through life upside down and unaware of it. So the kingdom of God is like that horizon. It shows us when we're upside down and when we're flying straight. And so our journey is from distraction to destiny as we seek the kingdom of God.